We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Today we are talking about the new Disney animated movie, Encanto. Uh, Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about Encanto? Yeah, Mike, we're going to need to talk about Bruno. (laughs) No, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. Uh, Encanto is uh, a film that came out uh, over Thanksgiving time in theaters. Um, And it's something for us to, to focus on. It's becoming successful now. We talk a lot during this pandemic about the success or failure of movies in the uh, theaters versus streaming. Um, in November, I was seeing movies in theaters. I know you weren't, right? I I, I saw Eternals in theaters. I saw in December, Spider-Man, uh, yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home in, in theaters. Um, but Encanto is, is really, it's a family movie. It's a Disney animated uh, film meant to bring in young children. And so I, even though I was going to the theaters, my children were not vaccinated yet. I was not bringing them to theaters. And as a result, this did not see the success in theaters that I think they am- imagined um, it, stateside domestically uh, in theaters. It did not even gross a hundred million dollars, which uh, is really a, a, should be a floor for a Disney animated film, uh, not a ceiling. Uh, so as a result, they uh, released it uh, the very end of December on Disney Plus, and it's really seen new life, and it has exploded on that streaming service. Exploded. Canto, In fact, that that song that we that we just referenced, uh, we don't talk about Bruno, um, is uh, um, the first Disney song to make it to the Billboard Top Ten charts. Um, I think since Let It Go, and it has uh, actually surpassed Let It Go. Um, which is amazing for a number of reasons, right? This is a, a story about a young Latina uh, girl written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, Let It Go was about, you know, a, a, a white woman. Uh, so the music of Encanto, I think, carries the film. All of it, uh, original music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Every song slaps. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible, but the story itself. In begins... fact, right, I have a I have a friend who uh, said the other posted the other day. Um, what's your favorite song from Encanto, and why is it all of them? Right. Um, the 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 story begins where um, Abuela, uh, as a young uh, mother and her husband, uh, they're they're leaving uh, their the city of Colombia where they live. Uh, and, and they're fleeing with many townspeople because we see the militia has attacked their town, um, right? Like any good Disney film, we expect to begin with tragedy of a parent dying and Abuelo uh, dies protecting uh, his wife and her three young children from this militia. And in doing so, this candle that she has becomes the miracle 
And the miracle of that candle uh, that now still burns so many generations later creates this Encanto, this enchanted village that's protecting not just the Majigal family, but all the townspeople that uh, left with them and, and fled for safety and well-being with them. Uh, and uh, what we find out is that as this candle burns, this miracle burns, it attains magical qualities and um, gives the, the, each door. There's a ceremony where the door lights up and the magical child touches the door and they're gifted with these magical powers. You have uh, Bruno. Um, we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, and we'll talk about why, played by John Leguizamo, his finest performance since he was Luigi in the Super Mario, Mario Brothers movie. Uh, Bruno has the the gift, or some would argue the curse, uh, of seeing into the future, of precognition. You have Julieta, who can heal you with food. You have Peppa, whose feelings control the weather. Uh, you, you have um, other children, Isabella, who is seemed... Uh, so perfect in every way, um, right? That she makes flowers bloom everywhere. You have Luisa, who is super strong, superhuman strength, but uh, it's really imagery of her carrying all the burdens of the family and never complaining about it. Um, and you have uh, Camilo, who shapeshifts. Uh, you have Antonio, who's about to receive his gift. All of this is introduced in the opening number of the family Madrigal. Uh, you have to have the grandkids round up. And then you have uh, Mirabelle, the main protagonist, who doesn't have any gifts, or so it seems. Uh, and there's this tension about why is she different when everybody has all these special gifts. And Abuela uh, basically suggests that she's she's ruining things. We find out that Bruno did not, spoiler alert, he did not flee, but he was actually hiding within uh, the, the hidden rooms and attics of the home this whole time, watching from a distance. He fled because he had a vision that Mirabelle would cause all these cracks in the uh, casita in their, their magical home and, and would destroy it and cause the candle to, to go out. Um, she ends up... Uh, in this process, having her family admit lots of things. Uh, Luisa admits that, you know, the burden is too heavy for her to carry by herself. Isabella admits that she doesn't want to marry Mariano and she doesn't always want to be perfect all the time. Sometimes she wants to make flowers bloom that are imperfect. Uh, and um, they end up finding Mirabelle who leaves and flees at this very river at the edge of town of Arancanto where her abuelo died. Uh, and Abuela uh, understands that she made a mistake in her commitments to strengthen the magic of this miracle candle. She ignored the toll that responsibility was taking on Mirabelle, on the whole family. Um, and Mirabelle says that uh, it was really Abuela who brought the family together. And now it's the family who needs to take the family and take the Madrigal family uh, into their, their next generation. And they all reunite, the townspeople come together and they rebuild Casita, understanding that they're no longer refugees. They don't need this miracle candle to sustain their home. The townspeople together can build it. Uh, and as it's completed, um, the Madrigals give Mirabelle a, a shining doorknob. Um, and 
she places it on the, the front door and the magic of the home comes back to life. Uh, the idea that actually Mirabelle was responsible for everybody else's gifts, uh, which is the greatest gift of all. Well, as you can, as you can tell, you know, the, uh, the movie is um, uh, filled with themes like uh, family and tradition and um, expectation, uh, predestination and free will. Uh, the role, the unique role we each play in the context of our households and um, how we relate to each other as siblings, as parents, as children. So, uh, but before we get into all of that, Jesse, just on the on the level, um, what did you think of Encanto? Encanto. Encanto. Um, I love the movie. Uh, my my four and a half year old's biggest disappointment. Uh, was it wasn't a story about a princess and she kept asking she goes is Mirabella princess she's not wearing a crown uh and, and that's the best part I was like she's better than a princess she's a strong independent woman uh uh I love the movie I love the music um I think that I, I, I thought the storyline was fine and fair uh not totally revolutionary but I, I think in some ways it reminded me a little bit of inside out that we have these feelings and emotions that we're not always able to uh, talk about and bring up. Uh, and we sometimes feel like we have these roles to play in the family dynamic and we have to stay in our cookie cutter roles and can't ever leave, but that's not reality. The world is not in black and white where we stay in these little boxes. What about you, Mike? Yeah, so I, I really loved it. Um, it's uh, it's sweet. You know, I, I'm not sure if this will be one of those Disney movies that stays with me forever. You know, like uh, like The Lion King or Aladdin or or you know those movies from from my youth or even uh, uh, Frozen and um, and Moana uh, in in its way recently. Um, but I, I can tell you that my kids who are nine, seven, and four, um, all of them are. Um, enamored of this movie right now uh, are are singing it around the house nonstop my four-year-old knows all the words literally he can't he can barely string a sentence together otherwise but he knows all the words to we don't know uh, we don't talk about Bruno um so my my kids love this movie I'm more of a I, surface pressure fan drip drip <laughs> drip yeah um I also I like the the family madrigal the the opening number um personally the best but you know it's each their own uh and uh, you know I found this listen uh, you know I uh, Disney movies always hit me in all the feels um I had you know multiple puddle moments in this movie uh as I do in in many Disney movies I I do really love and appreciate uh that Disney has in you know in recent years really in recent decades been uh, deliberately trying to upend uh, its reliance on uh, on on the sort of uh, princess model um, of you know uh, perfect perfect features perfect you know uh, not even perfect but like uh, impossibly perfect uh, bodies uh, that are that are more or less. Um, you know, uh, um, weak protagonists, right? That the action happens all around them. They're the they're the uh, the subjects of the action or the objects of the action, rather than the drivers of the action. And ultimately, they're all rescued by men. Uh, and uh, and and in recent years, that has not been the model of uh, of, of Disney films. Disney right. protag protagonists they've been largely um, uh, female driven stories. Uh, but the leads have a generally uh, a bit 
less so been princesses, um, or they've you know kind of upended the formula so that in the first Frozen movie, right, the the kind of perfect one is in a way sort of the villain, um, even though they're both uh, kind of the protagonists, right? Uh, Elsa uh, being the the one responsible for the uh, eternal winter um, in whatever the village's name was, the kingdom's name, I forget now. Um, Moana technically Moana technically not being a princess but then you also have uh Raya and Raya and the last dragon which we didn't uh, talk about on on this podcast but uh, but but I thought was a, a really really great uh movie um and 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 on and on uh and and I think that that's a, a really important uh development I mean I'm certainly not the first person to suggest it uh, and uh, it, it, first of all, not makes not only may and so you had it in this one too. You had you know it, is Isabel um, or Isabella, uh, Isabella is Isabella. Thanks, uh, Isabella is you know very much the model of Disney princess. Like looks like the generic Disney princess, um, and yet you know is not the protagonist of the story, um, and uh, actually grapples with the with the weight of. Um, of, of being expected to be perfect all the time um, in, in really interesting ways. So I, I, I loved what they did with that. Um, and it was just a really, you know, beautiful, lovely, um, uplifting, moving story. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if it's something that I'm still thinking about in, in five, 10 years. Like I, I, you know, I very often think about Moana. Moana, you know, I still can't watch without crying, just like some of the other Disney classics. We'll see if it holds up in the same way, but, uh, but I enjoyed it. I think that this movie um, was was uh, intrinsically ha- had a Jewish feel to it, um, and I think it's true not just for the Jewish community, certainly for for this uh, uh, Latino community, really for any family that uh, is a family of immigrants, any family that survived trauma. I mean, at its core, this movie is really about generational trauma. Right. And, and the weight that Isabella feels, that Louisa feels, that frankly, that, that, that Mirabelle feels, right? That, that when she says, it's so sad, when, when Antonio gets his gift and she says, you know, don't be upset or mad at all. Don't feel regret or sad at all. Uh, you can't keep down the, ins- but she, she admits that she has this invisible pain she feels. It's, it's this tension that they feel that they have to act in a certain way uh, because their grandfather gave his life so that they can live and survive. And, you know, it's, we often talk about this. uh, What role does, let's say, for example, Holocaust education uh, take in uh, Jewish educational settings? Uh, Is it just historical and a historical context about um, the, 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 not just from a modern genocide perspective, but one of the most traumatic experiences that we, uh, were victims of within Jewish history, uh, or is it also this sort of like, right, th- this mantra that some people say, we can't let Hitler win. We can't let Hitler win. We have to act in a certain way and be engaged Jewishly in a certain way. Or, or the suggestion that the creation of the modern state of Israel was a direct response to the Holocaust, this idea that trauma shapes how we act, but generations later who don't have the direct scars from that trauma may want to act differently, but feel the weight of holding on to that trauma that previous generations have passed on. 
Yeah, well, I, I think that that's a really good point and a really, you know, uh, thoughtful question or frame to think of about this movie. Uh, you know, I think it first bears mentioning that we're recording this now a little bit more than a week after um, the attack on Congregation Beth Israel in, in Colleyville, Texas, um, which has been, you know, we've been um, sort of uh, processing uh, the, 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 the feelings that we all have uh, in the aftermath of, of that um, of that crisis, which which you know for, fortunately um, uh, ended uh, with those who were being held hostage, including Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker, um, uh, being uh, set free uh, or freeing themselves, really, um, and now being uh, uh, safe and, and well, thank God. Uh, but we're but we're I think processing that, and it's so much of the conversation um, in the wake of that. Uh, incident as it was after Pittsburgh and after Poway uh, was, you know, uh, this question of, um, you know, what's what's the response to anti-Semitism uh, and and among those that are offered and, and you know, I uh, never thought that I would be among those that would express this, but I but I found myself expressing it, you know, more and more um, is that a response um, and not necessarily the response or the primary response, but I think a valid response to anti-Semitism is to say, you know, um, I'm going to embrace my uh, Jewish identity. I'm going to embrace uh, Jewish life and Jewish community in in a, in a way that I hadn't before, um, because um, uh, because you know otherwise it might be me and not those who hate the Jewish people who is responsible for the ultimate end of uh, Jewish civilization, right? And, and so, I, so it does, I think, uh, um, impart that sense of responsibility that, you know, that, um, that, you know, either by attrition or by, um, or, or by, you know, uh, hateful action, uh, Judaism might disappear. And, um, you know, do you want to bear responsibility for that? So, um, so I think that, that that exists, but I think Judaism has always held, and, and this is true both in our uh, response to anti-Semitism, also just our, our sense of Jewish commitment to uh, the Torah frames this in the language of, of belief, uh, this idea of Yirah, Right, uh, which is uh, which can be translated as as fear or awe, right. um, but that's all that's often contrasted with ahavav love. So you know, so why is it that we do what we do? Do we do it out of fear, or do we do it out of love, or do we do it out of some combination of the two? Right, sometimes out of fear and sometimes out of love. Is there a higher value or a lesser value? Right, Maimonides says that it's uh, that. That both values are important, but the higher value is love, right? To to embrace your Judaism, to to to, to cultivate your faith, um, to serve God out of a love of God, um, rather than out of a fear that you might anger God by not doing something. So the same thing with anti, right? So uh, I live my Jewish commitment um, because I I love being Jewish and I love the purpose that uh, Jews are called to to in this world. Um, I, I believe in it, um, and and not so much because otherwise it might be lost forever. Um, and right, it, it's the old right. If I did this and I struggled and I suffered for your sake, um, and you've now disappointed me and let me down because you are not living life the way I want you to. Uh, and that that burden, right? This is Louisa essentially. The burden that she carries 
is carrying on the family's legacy. Um, you know, I often wonder, uh, Dr. Arnie Eisen, who's the former chancellor of the Jewish Logical Seminary, once taught that when he first went to his adult daughter's synagogue, he realized that that Shabbat experience, that davening experience was very different from the one that uh, he was comfortable in or from the one that he took her to as a child growing up. And she said, well, of course, my Jewish experience in the year time, right, in the year 2010 should be quite different from your Jewish experience when you were my age in 1990. Uh, generationally, our relationship evolves. And I think what sometimes happens, our relationship with religion, our relationship with culture, our relationship with society evolves. Um, and parents sometimes see that the way that their children act or that the way that their grandchildren act, especially in relationship to Judaism, Jewish ritual, Jewish community, is meant to be a commentary and response on their own family, right? We, we've seen this all the time. Uh, I, I hope this is not the case for most people anymore, but, but parents or grandparents would see if somebody falls in love and marries somebody of another faith, that that is a direct rejection of the Judaism that they taught them or the Jewish community that they raised in when it's only a celebration of their love and commitment of that person, regardless of, of that person's faith that they identify in. I think what we learn at the end of this movie is that we need to make sure, which Abuela did not do well, that our children, grandchildren know, no matter who they are, no matter who they become, no matter what they're feeling, uh, give them a sense of love and belonging, because that ultimately makes all the difference. Once Mirabelle felt like she had a gift still and a purpose, it turns out her gift was the most important gift at all. Uh, you know, she put that knob back on the casita and reignited the magical spark of the miracle in the end. Um, but she was meant to feel unworthy or inconsequential. And I think sometimes that happens generationally when we want to experience and embrace Judaism differently than that of previous generations. And the truth is, up until recent years, the rise in anti-Semitism and violent anti-Semitism in this country, my own children, they didn't experience the anti-Semitism of my grandparents. Right. My grandfather of blessed memory used to carry his passport with him in his pocket everywhere. And I once asked him about that. You know, I grew up, we kept our passports in a safety deposit box. And he said, you never know when you have to leave immediately. Uh, and, and that is that generational trauma. And and my children were like, does that mean they go on like spontaneous vacations? You know, they didn't understand what he was talking about uh, because as Jews in this country, in spite of the anti-Semitism that, that exists, uh, we have never been safer or more successful than any other point in Jewish history. And so they don't experience that trauma that would sit with previous generations. So it's harder for their Judaism and Jewish experience to be shaped by such trauma. Well, right. So I think that that's actually something that the movie points out, which is that, you know, that, that, that trauma is a powerful Fear is a powerful motivator for um, for for you know transmitting and, and holding on to values to a tradition, but it's but it's actually pretty fragile, right? So they you know so they build this casita, um, right? That's uh, the cracks of, in the casita, 
Right, exactly. Right, uh, you know, it 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 uh, it falls apart under under pressure. Right, in the, in the case that you're talking about, right, the pressure in a lot of ways has been the the openness of uh, society, the the freedom and inclusion uh, that Jews have have experienced in America, um, which has undermined the 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 fear based. Uh, approach to passing down Judaism that you know was so present, I think, in previous generations. And so now, what we're what we're learning is uh, is that you know what if we flip the script and uh, and 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 imparted a, a Judaism based on um, uh, love and, uh, and and purpose. Um, and, and so I think that that's the that. But now we're now we're Jews in America who you know had had for maybe a generation uh, were. Uh, we're we're shifting our approach to imparting Judaism to our children in that way. Now I have to kind of backpedal a little bit and say, actually, that may not be enough either, right? And say you might need a combination of these two things um, of of you know of of holding on tight enough uh, that uh, that um, that you you know don't uh, fall prey to outside forces. Um, but also, um, uh, you know, to use the language of uh, Rabbi Milton Steinberg in the 50s, right, to hold with open arms, right, to say that, that we're going to uh, hold on to uh, what we want to maintain about our Judaism, but also have a, an open kind of approach and disposition to say that, it, that, that the next iteration of Judaism need not necessarily look like the previous iteration of Judaism. And that doesn't mean the end of Judaism, that just means the beginning of a new chapter of, of Judaism. And I think that you see that in, in the movie, right? That uh, the recognition that um, Mirabelle actually, you know, loves her family, maybe more than any other family member, her expression of that love or the way that love looks in her, uh, because she doesn't, she, she doesn't seem at least the most, most of the movie to have the same kinds of gifts that the rest of her family has, you know, so she's perceived as sort of like insufficiently being a uh, part of the family that that her that her kind of presence there sort of undermines the greatness of the family um whereas the other kids have those gifts um but their you know hearts aren't really in it in the same way right so um so i think that the uh the, the movie kind of reflects that 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 ultimately um both things are valuable both things are necessary both the the um the, the, the gifts that embody our connection to previous generations um, and also the inspiration to, um, to hold and continue uh, uh, in our own way uh, what, you know, what, we, what we inherit from those generations. Um, but let's talk about you know, one of the generational wrinkles that the movie brings up. Let's, let's talk about Bruno. It's time to talk about Bruno. Time to talk about Bruno. Uh, so what do you think about Bruno's storyline in, in the movie and what do you think it has to teach? So for those who are living under a rock uh, and have not heard the, this song uh, that is number one on the Billboard charts, um, as we said, that, that Bruno deals with uh, his gift or his curse was precognition. Um, and we know that... Um, uh, we, we we don't really need him initially. This beginning song of um, the family Majigal introduces us to Bruno, and immediately we say, we hear we don't talk, we about, don't talk Bruno. about Bruno, right? We we don't we don't get to hear anything about him. It's just that that he he had a vision and he ran away, uh, and then 
we find out that he was actually living in the house. And it's great at the very end, uh, Dolores, who her talent, her gift was super hearing. She said, I heard him all along. And Bruno was basically, he, he was staying to watch after the family. He couldn't leave the family, even if the family rejected him, whatever that means. He wanted to be a part of the family. Uh, his, and I think there is something about that that we see in his reunion with Abuela, that um, the importance is loving and embracing your children, no matter who they are, no matter what they become. That goes a lot farther in uh, family relationships and continuity of whatever you want them to carry on, then rejection. Um, Bruno also, I think his curse, not gift, was he saw into the future. And there was this idea, right, that, that we don't talk about Bruno, talks about when, when Peppa's telling the story that it's her wedding day and he told me it would rain. Uh, somebody said, you know, he said my fish would die dead. Uh, Next day, um, dead. He told me I would grow a gut. And just like he said. Uh, right. He told me I would lose my hair. Uh, are these things that were going to happen anyway? Because, you know, our, our metabolism slows down right. and, and uh, we put on a, a few pounds of the waistline as we get older or our hair falls out or who knows if it's cloudy, it may rain. Uh, do these things happen because he puts it into our minds and so we're convinced it's going to happen? Uh, or um, do they happen because he said they were going to happen? It's really the difference between fate and free will, the role of prophecy, something that was very much a part of scripture and Jewish tradition, but not really a part of ideology that we think of today. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that, you know, what the, um, what, what, Bruno's power and people's reactions to it um, highlight is, you know, first of all, uh, the, the, the fact that uh, our fate is, you know, never fully written, right? So there are ways in which, you know, Bruno, uh, we realize, doesn't always notice everything in his visions anyway, right? So the, the future that he's telling is an imperfect uh, version of the future. Which is um, clear based on this, this vision of this cracked casita that he had. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, because he doesn't see that what would fix the casita is uh, uh, Mirabelle and Isabella um, uh, reconciling, right? Uh, so, um, so, and then ultimately the butterfly that's part of the vision that, that actually we don't see um, until the end of the movie when Mirabelle and Abuela reconcile. Um, so, you know, so he's gotten in, in imperfect vision of the future. Um, so that's, that's number one. Um, number two is, you know, um, the, the future is always being written because we are always actively engaged in building it. So, you know, so all of the, all of the predictions that he makes, you know, in the in the context of that song, he says it might rain. So that may be true. Maybe it was going to rain on the wedding day. But like you said, right, the idea got in um, in uh, in Peppa uh, Peppa's head. Thank you. Uh, and whose uh, emotions determine the weather? Determine the weather, right? And so you know, so so you know, what might have been a, a drizzle turned into a hurricane because um, she couldn't get it out of her mind, right? Uh, you know the the. Like you said, we might might all of us, we all of us, uh, um, you know, our waistlines start to go as we get older, our metabolism slows, and so on, right? Um, so, 
you know, was he just describing something that was inevitably going to happen and it happens to everyone? Did the goldfish die because Bruno predicted the goldfish would die or did the goldfish die because goldfish invariably die? Uh, Those of you who have run Purim carnivals before know that if you find the goldfish that lasts a week, you found the big winner. Right, you found the big winner, exactly. Right, so, you know, so so Bruno um, is not necessarily making big swing predictions about the future. Listen, casitas crack. You know, I I live in a, a house that's about 100 years old now. Like, it cracks, but that's just what happens to old houses, right? So, um, so he's not necessarily predicting. He's not taking big swings about the future. So, so that's I think also important to recognize. The Tanakh, when talking about prophecy, says the only way you know if a prophet is a real prophet is if the prophecy comes true, right? You have this whole story uh, uh, in, with Jonah, for example, that Jonah goes to Nineveh and he offers his prophecy on behalf of God. A genuine prophet, and they change their ways. Uh, and, and so because he tells them what is going to happen, they change their ways to avoid that happening. Then he gets upset because it suggests that he's a false prophet because what he said would happen didn't happen. Either way, you put something into somebody's mind, it's going to influence how we act once we start thinking that way. It may change our ways or cause us to go in that direction, but it certainly has an influence. Well, so I guess what it brings up then, Jesse, is the classic paradox that's that's expressed in Pirkei Avot and Mishnah, right? That uh, everything is foreseen, but freedom of choice is granted. So if freedom of choice is granted, then how can everything be foreseen? And if everything is foreseen, how can freedom of choice be granted, right? If, 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 uh, if the future is predetermined, then we really don't have, like we might have the illusion of choice, but all choices will invariably lead us to that uh, preordained conclusion. But if we do have choice, real choice, then it's impossible for the future to, to be predetermined. I, I want to read the lyrics from all of you when, when you know, when finally they're like, okay, so we're going to talk about Bruno. That's Bruno. Yeah, there's a lot to say about Bruno. And he says, Pep, I'm sorry about your wedding. Didn't mean to be upsetting. That wasn't a prophecy. I could just see you were sweating. And I wanted you to know that your brother loves you. So let it in, let it out, let it rain, let it snow, let it go. That's what I'm always saying, bro. Got a lot of apologies I got to say. Here, we're just happy that you're here. Okay, but coming to the light, the triplets all unite. No matter what happens, we're going to find our way. Right. The idea is, is you really I, made that come alive. By the I, way. I know, you know, <laughs> you should hear my Hamilton. Um, I think just to change course a little bit, it's also a reminder. Why did he flee? He didn't flee because he was worried about the prophecies would come true. I think he fled because he realized that no matter what he said, he, he was being critical of family where he was impacting family. And there's this, Ah, dynamic, right? When, when, when you're growing up with your siblings, uh, you you fight, but your siblings, you love each other, even when you hate each other, you know, because you're your siblings, when you grow up into adults, there's there's this tension of how do you show that love for each other and where are the times that you're honest with each other and where are the times that you bite your your tongue? Uh, and I think what he's saying in the conclusion of the movie is that there were things that even if he thought them, he shouldn't have said them out loud. He said the quiet things out loud because he knew that what he said would deeply hurt his family and being together as family is more important than, you know, just spewing word vomit. Mike, uh, intentionally, Mirabelle, 
is the main character. What do you think the message is that uh, you are a father uh, of a uh, daughter, right? I'm a father of daughters. What do you think the message is trying to teach uh, young girls, uh, especially given how you began this conversation that this is not a, a damsel in distress, old school Disney princess that needs to be saved by a prince. What is the message that, that, that Mirabelle, who she is and who we uh, find out she is revealed to be, is meant to teach young girls? And, and what can we take from that to uh, try to build a world that promotes uh, further equity and equality among genders? It's a good question. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking as you're asking that, uh, I've been watching 30 Rock recently, and there's a line that uh, Jenna says in 30 Rock, um, uh, uh, sort of railing against uh, the fact that even at that point, uh, Disney hadn't uh, had a, a blonde princess in, in a long time. Uh, and she's like, you know, who are, who are pretty blonde girls supposed to look up to nowadays, right? Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the first thing is that, you know, Mirabelle is um, special, that she's a protagonist, um, not because of her physical appearance, um, not, you know, she's, she's unique, not because she's, you know, um, uh, classically uh, by Western standards, you know, a, a beautiful young woman. Um, she's, I, I think, like, uh, by design meant to be somewhat average looking. She has glasses, she's, um, you know, got a got a kind of more stout frame, right? So anyways, I think that she's, you know, she's meant to say, like, um, that, uh, that she looks like every, she looks like everyone. Um, and anyone. And so I think that that's uh, one of the messages here. Uh, and, and also she doesn't have, at least until the end of the movie, uh, a, a discernible gift like the other members of her family. Um, and so I think that one of the things the movie is saying is that there's a, there's a gift um, in, in just being a normal kid. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that that's actually a really powerful message. You know, we have, um, this isn't just true of girls, um, but uh, this is true of, of everybody. We have, you know, these, these, uh, um, expectations on, on kids in our society to, um, to, to succeed by a narrow definition of what success is. We, you know, we want to um, uh, uh, find, identify the ways in which they are, you know, exceptional and unique and, uh, and, and continue fueling that uniqueness, even if it's not actually something that, um, that, that nourishes or, or energizes the, the kid and, um, and in, in ways that are really uh, sometimes damaging, right? The, so like Louisa, uh, as, as an example of that, right? Um, you know, feels like uh, if she doesn't live up to the expectations that are put on her, you know, uh, she, she's she's cracking under the pressure. And same thing with Isabella. Um, so, you know, we we often have that with with our kids that we, um, you know, we we expect them to perform in in certain ways. We praise them when they uh, are outstanding. You know, in in such a way that makes them feel that if they don't hit that level every time, uh, that that they have that they aren't actually uh, worthy enough in in our eyes or in society's eyes, which um, causes them to sometimes not try at all, to sometimes uh, take fewer risks, um, uh, to 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 cheat. Um, to do, you know, whatever they need to do in order to kind of, uh, you know, uh, maintain what somebody has told them is, is extraordinary about them. Um, so I, I think that that's what's really uh, powerful about the character of Mirabelle is that, 
She's decidedly not extraordinary. Um, she just is a person who is uh, thoughtful and compassionate and um, wants to do good by her family and wants to do good by her community and is beloved by the community for it, um, although not always appreciated by her extraordinary family for it. I think what you said is really important that it's not telling our children who they should be and like not, not being that, that little league coach to try to force them to like something or, or spend all their time doing something, be interested in something, but really encourage them to explore who they are uh, and, and embrace all their passions uh, so that they can go on whatever journey they want to go on to, to be who they want to be. Uh, one last point, Mike, I, I want to bring up before we wrap, uh, Julieta. Right, that that we're told that that she can heal anything with a meal, uh, Mirabelle's mother. Uh, if that is not the 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 typical uh, Jewish stereotype of here, you know, let me feed you more. You know, you're too skinny. Uh, right. It's talking about the, the role of what, what do we say? It, it's uh, all you need is a bowl of chicken noodle soup to feel better. Uh, that's an uh, that's that's a uh, Jewish cooking in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably uh, also true. I don't have firsthand experience of this, but I think that's probably also true of a, of a, a lot of other, um, uh, you know, immigrant cooking condition uh, traditions. Uh, the the sense that you know the the uh, the the love and the warmth and the rootedness that is put into those dishes and those meals. Actually, when we talked about uh, Taste the Nation with, with Padma Lakshmi, we, we talked about this a little bit, right? That, uh, that you know, what's embodied in those dishes, um, you know, and again, this is, probably, you know, this is probably true of, you know, Central American uh, immigrants and Mexican immigrants, all those traditions, um, you know, what's, what's represented in the dish um, is, the, is the love and warmth and support and connection to the past um, that is, nurturing that is healing um so it's probably not unique to to jews but it's definitely present within within jewish life that you know that that uh, chicken soup is is penicillin and there's really nothing that that it can't cure but i, I suspect that there's an abuela out there uh, who says that that's true of her tamales and uh there is uh you know a uh uh, uh, um, a Chinese grandmother who thinks that's true of her uh, bao buns, right? Um, uh, so, uh, uh, so it, it resonated with me, but I suspect that that's actually um, a, a pretty universal uh, characteristic. I like it. The the the, the uh, conclusion then we could all agree on is that uh, food always makes you feel better. <laughs> right. So Jesse. Uh, are you looking forward to Encanto 2, Electric Boogaloo? Uh, you know, I, I think this story has told itself. Uh, I, I don't think uh, it, it needs a sequel. And as we talked about with Frozen 2, although I enjoyed it and enjoyed the music, sometimes uh, we're, we're better off without a, a sequel. Uh, the, the story is better when we don't explore what comes next. But speak about what comes next, make sure you smash that subscribe button to hear future episodes of Pop Torah because you know that the Torah we teach will just drip, drip, drip. That'll never stop. So until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Mao. Take care.